This is the Tree of Life Ministries podcast. Our mission is to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope this message is inspiring, encouraging, and it challenges you. Wherever you're listening from, we hope that you enjoy and that God will transform your life through today's message. I tell you what, this has been a, a really unusual week. A week that, um, that really is just, I think a lot of people has been tried, a lot of people has been tested, and it's good to be in the house of God where you just sense the atmosphere of victory. How many of you just feel victory in this place tonight? Amen? Come on, give him praise like you know what victory is. That's right. We praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Well, that last song, I tell you, it was really confirmation with what I'm going to share with you tonight because that last song deals with the basics of what we really believe as Christians. And so tonight I want to share a passage of scripture with you. It's found in 2 Timothy. And I just want to talk to you for a moment tonight on something that the Lord, it was really kind of, you know, I, I guess different the way the Lord had given this to me. And, and I, the best way that I know to explain it is that there are sometimes, I remember one time when I was playing basketball and the coach said, you know, you, when you're practicing, you go through all these drills, you go through different things that teaches you the basic fundamentals of what it means to play a game. And so uh, during the course of that game, he called us back in and he said, you know, I know that y'all are out there playing, but when you get in the game, sometimes that's what you lose. You lose the fundamentals the things that are just keeping you grounded, the things that are just keeping you rooted, the things that are just keeping you on track. And so that's really what tonight is about. And I'll get more into that here in just a moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says this in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, look at this, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that he saved us, not because of what we can do, but because of what he did, amen? In verse 10, he says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. Verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I love this verse. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that. Keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. I gotta read that verse 12 again. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. 
I want to go to the Lord in prayer. And many of you probably know by now that Josephine, she is with the Lord tonight. And But it's not night where she's at. Amen? It's never night. And so we want to remember the family. We want to remember Luis and his family and her family. And we'll be having services here Friday. And so if you want information about that, we can give that to you. But just be in prayer for them. If you have a need, I just want you to lift your hand. We're going to trust God to take care of that tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord. And God, you're just so gracious. You're wonderful. You're kind. Lord, there is really not enough words in the English language to really describe how great you really are. So Lord, what we do is we express it with our, our whole being just by letting you know that we love you. Because God, when we get in your presence, there's really not a lot that we're able to do other than just sit there and let the expression of our being validate our love for you. And so Lord, that's what we do tonight. Some people are, we're just here tonight just to worship you, just to praise you, just to learn and grow from you. And so Lord, I just wanna thank you that your presence is here tonight. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here tonight to change our lives, to touch our lives. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that Lord, that's what you're gonna do. You saw the hands that were raised and you know the needs that are in people's lives. And Father, I just pray that in the name of Jesus, God, that not one person would leave here tonight, that they wouldn't be able to say that you in some way touched them. You in some way had a conversation with them while the context of this sermon is going on. During worship, Father, Lord, I pray that every person would leave here tonight knowing that the presence of God has spoke to them and touched them. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that those needs that people raise their hand over, that Lord, you're just gonna begin to actively work. That God, they what they were doing when they raised their hand and we were doing when we raised our hand was we, as in, we, we were inviting you into our situation and saying, God, I've done all that I can do. I need you to do what I can't do. And so Lord, thank you, Father, that we can trust you, we can depend on you. Lord, I thank you that we can agree here tonight that Lord, you're gonna touch the family this week as we lay to rest her body. But God, we thank you that she's in your presence. She's in your peace, she's in your joy. And God, it's eternal, it's the everlasting. It's not something that'll be fleeting, it's not something that there's a tomorrow, but God, she is there eternally in your presence. Hallelujah, Lord. And so God, we can thank you tonight that God, that all of us have something to look forward to who know you as Lord and Savior. All of us have uh, a home to look forward to. God, not just on this earth, but in the heavens, Lord, that you prepared for us. And so God, we just wanna thank you tonight that you're not only there in heaven, but you're here with us tonight. We give you praise, honor, and glory for what you've done, how you've spoken, how you've moved, how you've touched. And so Lord, we give you praise, honor, and glory for how you're going to move, how you're going to touch. You deserve all the praise for it. You deserve all the honor for it. You deserve all the glory for it. And that's what we give to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And I want you to shout a good amen and give the Lord a praise tonight if you agree with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Turn to somebody and tell them, say, I'm glad to see you tonight.
I just want to thank you again for being here tonight. It's good to see uh, this good crowd on a Wednesday night, and I know that people are making their way back after dodging the snow and dodging COVID and a lot of other things that people are going through. But tonight, I want to. I just want to share uh, this title with you. And when I share this title with you, it's in the form of a question. And I just really feel, I think that you'll understand where I'm going once I get into this and you'll understand what the Holy Spirit is really speaking to us as believers, as Christians, as a church of where we are right now and what we're having to deal with in our culture. But Paul said this, I told you, he said, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Turn to somebody and say, he is able. Tell them, say, he is able. So tonight I want to talk to you for a moment on do you know him? Do you know him? And when I ask you that question and when you look into your heart and when you just begin to look into uh, your own spirit and where you are with the Lord, I would say that when I look over this congregation, I, I can look at most everyone that I know, most, most people that I'm in contact with, that I talk with, that I communicate with either on during service or during uh, service times when we're here or maybe a conversation through the week, maybe outside of the church. But I would say that when I would go around this room, you would say, yes, absolutely, I know him. Yes, I do know him. And, and each one of you, I think, would know him. And not only would you know him, you would probably have a different way and a different expression of how you would relay to me that you know him. I think that it's very unique in the day that we live in that, that God is able to move despite all the confusion in our culture and all the mishandling of his word and all the mishandling of truth. Isn't it amazing that Jesus still saves in the middle of all that, that he's able to filter through all the communication and confusion that people actually go through and receive and still touch the hearts of men and women and 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 when I say that it's really not much different than the confusion that people were experiencing in Paul's day so when you look at this passage of Scripture and I want to get right into this tonight and I may get you out early I may ask a little longer I don't know you'll have to ask the Holy Spirit how that's gonna go but I can tell you that it's very interesting the way this, this book was written, First and Second Timothy. What we know is that Paul is sitting in a prison. We know that he is awaiting his execution. We know that as he sits there and he's writing to Timothy, that what he's really doing is he's giving some final exhortations. He's giving some final instructions. He's speaking into the life of his young protege, this mentor, this man of God that's looked at him as a father in the faith and has really embraced Timothy as a son, looks at him and he says, I really need you to get this. I really need you to understand this. I really need you to, to grasp what I'm writing you because you're going to be faced with some things as a young minister, as a young man in the culture and within the church that no one else has really had to face before. You're going to be faced with certain questions that are going to be asked you. There's going to be confusion in the church 
And you, young Timothy, have to be the one that is leading people through this cultural confusion to bring them to a place where their faith is solidified in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're the one that's going to have to be able to speak into them the way I've spoken to you. You're the one that's going to have to be able to lead them through all the mess that's going to take place in this world. And you're going to have to lead them in a way as hard as it's going to be on your life, you're going to have to lead them in a way where they see the ultimate expression of your faith. You're going to face trials. You're going to face tests. You're going to face doctrinal challenges. And in the middle of all this, you have to stand strong. You have to endure that. You have to always be ready to give an answer. You have to always be prepared for what people or the enemy might bring against you. How many of you know that we live in a culture where that's really required of us right now? I said, how many of you know that we live in a culture where that's required of us right now? Of course we know that it's required of us. So part of Paul and what he's writing as he's speaking to Timothy, he's reinforcing some things that when you look at Timothy's life and the span of time that he's been preaching, what you would think in your mind is, why is it that Paul is having to write this? Why is it that when he spent all of this time with Timothy, he's mentored Timothy, and we know the family that Timothy came from. His mother was a believer, but his father was out there in Greek philosophy, and so his father really didn't have an influence over his life where the gospel was concerned. But it, we know that his mother did, and his grandmother did. They were praying women of God. And how many of you know that your prayers can always offset anything that culture or the enemy might bring into your home that your prayers can overcome anything where the enemy would try to influence the belief system that God is really wanting to put inside of you. So here they are. They're praying over him. They're instilling the Word of God inside of him. And Tim and Martin and, and Paul comes along and, and he's reinforcing everything that they have instilled inside of him. But when you read First and Second Timothy, what you would think in your mind is why is he really going over certain basics? Why is is it that Paul is covering things that really Timothy should know? It would be the equivalent of me sitting in front of Pastor Mike or sitting in front of someone like Brother Jim who is well-seasoned in the gospel, well-seasoned in the Word, well-seasoned in his prayer life, and me sitting in front of them and them explaining to me what it means to be saved, them explaining to me what it means to have eternal life, them explaining to me what all the basics of what it means to be a Christian in this culture. So why is Paul really writing this to Timothy? Why is he breaking it down in such a way that you and I can even understand it centuries later? I really think that it's because Paul could see how the enemy was trying to work his way into the church. And so when Paul was writing this, and when I'm sitting there reading this, the question kept hitting me, and I wonder if it wasn't on Paul's mind as he was writing this to Timothy. He was saying, more than anything, Timothy, you just really need to know the Lord more and deeper than you've ever known the Lord before in your life. You need to come to a place where your faith is immovable no matter how much you are challenged in this world. 
And so I really believe that if Paul was sitting there with Timothy, we know that he wasn't, but if he was sitting there with Timothy, maybe if Paul was able to stand in this pulpit and he knew all the world challenges that we were going through right now, all the cultural challenges that was fighting against our faith, our families, our future, and everything that's going on in our society, I wonder if he wouldn't just look around this room and as he looked around this room, he wouldn't begin to ask for each one of us, do you really know him? Do you really know him? And each one of us would sit there and, and like you, when I said that you would nod your head, yes, I know him. Yes, I know him. And, and why was it that he would ask Timothy this? Well, if you move on to the end of Timothy, I wonder if he was really looking into Timothy's faith, knowing how certain challenges were coming about, and he knew that there had already been people that had left him when things become hot against him and he knew that Nero was persecuting Christians. And Demas said, man, I'm out of here. I thought that God was going to come and deliver you. And if he delivered you, I would be right there with you. But since Nero is about to kill you, I'm out of here. We saw what kind of faith he had. So when he's writing Timothy, he's saying, I want you to know there are some people that was with me when it was convenient for them. There were some people that were with me when everything was going good. There were some people that were with me when everything was going right. And I looked at their life and I could see that maybe there was maybe a few inconsistencies, but you know, I really thought they loved the Lord. But instead they loved this former world and that's where they went back to. And so where we are right now, if you go around the room and you look around and you say, do you really love him? And you say, why would you keep asking that? Why would you keep saying that? Because at the heart of what Paul is writing to Timothy, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm sitting here, I'm ready to die. Nero is about to kill me, but really he's not killing me because for me to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So either way, I'm in good shape. But I'm asking you, Timothy, when I'm sending you the basics of everything that I'm writing to you, when I'm sending you the basics of everything you need to know and be undergirded with in the foundation of your faith, I want to ask you, do you really, do you really, do you really know him? And then Paul, in the, in the context of his writing and everything that's going on inside of his life, you say, why would you say that Paul is saying that? I'll tell you why. Because when you really love the Lord, how many of you know that you can endure a lot. I said, when you really love the Lord, how many of you know you can really go through some stuff? How many of you know that when you really love the Lord, you know that he's right there with you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're in the middle of. When you love the Lord, you really love him. You know that he's never going to walk out on you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to be there when you walk into it. He's going to be there with you when you're in the middle of it and he'll be there with you when you're out of it hallelujah somebody give God a shout of praise in this place because see that's just what God does and when Paul is writing him he says now I want you to understand something Timothy I want you to understand why I'm writing to you what I'm writing to you because of the culture that you're in and what's filtering into the church 
And I want you to hear me tonight because if there is one thing that I've learned about how the enemy operates, it's this. If he can't get the church to get involved in the world, you know what the devil will do? He'll try to get the world involved in the church. I didn't get a good enough amen, so now i got to repeat it all over again. I said, if he can't get the world to go out into the church, to go out into the world and get caught up in the things of the world, he finds a way to bring the world inside the church. Am I going to have to repeat that again? So that's what had happened. He couldn't get the church out into the world so he's writing Timothy and he said, here's the problem with the culture that you're living in. It's filled with Gnosticism. It's this belief that is twisting the truth of the gospel that has worked its way into the church. And now what you see is, and I want you to remember this because I was sitting there and as I was sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, man, Pastor Mike is about preaching my whole entire sermon for Wednesday night. He is messing everything up. But I remembered there was one statement that he said that just absolutely stuck with me. He said, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the greater there the battle is going to be between truth and error. Did y'all catch that? So now what you see is, what you see is really Paul dealing with this. He says, there is the twisting of the gospel that's trying to get inside the church, the twisting of the word of God. And that's why he says that clearly in the last times, some are going to walk away from the true faith and look at what he says. I told you about the walk away. He says they're going to follow deceptive spirits and teaching that comes from demons. And I know when I look around this room that no one in their right mind would follow any type of demonic spirit that would lead you away from the church. No one in their right mind would sit there when they know that a teaching is contrary to the Word of God would say, that's the teaching that I want. But what Paul is saying is, you may think that it's not possible, but here is why you need to be rooted and grounded in your faith. And when Paul is using the term deceiving spirits, He's using the term that really we don't identify with because we picture this demonic spirit, this picture of this evil spirit trying to lead people away. But when he uses the terminology of deceiving spirits, he's literally saying that it is an imposter. It's a look-alike. It's an act-alike. It's a sound-alike. But how many of you know there is only one like, and that's Jesus Christ, amen? And so that's what he's trying. And it, the more he gets into it, he says, do you realize this Gnosticism that's trying to get into the church, that it's basically saying this. Now, remember what I told you. If the devil cannot get you out of the church into the world, he's going to do everything that he can to bring the world in the church. And so this is what he did. He, there were people that started getting saved, but what they really enjoyed was the life that they were living before they got saved. 
So what they would do is they succumbed to a teaching that said, you can still be saved, but still go out and live the way you want to live because after all, this body is going to die, but it's your spirit that's going to live eternally. So go ahead and live it up, baby. Go ahead and sleep around. Go ahead and drink it up. Go ahead and drug it up. Y'all are getting awful quiet, amen? And here they are, they're teaching this, they're putting it out there, and, and now they're coming into the church, and Paul is writing Timothy because what he's seeing is that Timothy, Timothy now is engaged in a different kind of warfare. How many of you know that it's one type of warfare when you're fighting the devil outside of the church, but when the enemy has worked his way into the church, and it's your brother and your sister that's on the line, now it's a different kind of battle because you just don't toss them out. You gotta love them. You gotta encourage them. You gotta show them that Jesus Christ is still the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to this. There's a writer that said this several years ago. He said it was from these evil spirits. He's describing what Paul is writing to Timothy. It was from these evil spirits and demons that this false teaching came. But though it came from demons, it came through men. Now here is the threatening and the terrible thing. We know that God and God's Spirit is looking for men to use. God is always searching for men who will be His instruments, His weapons, His tools in the world. But here we come face to face with the terrible fact that the forces of evil are also looking for men to use. Just as God seeks men for his purposes, the forces of evil seek men for their purposes. Now, I want to I stop here just for a moment. I want to give you something. You say, how do you really know? How can you really recognize when the truth is being twisted? How can you really recognize something that's false? Because now we live in a day of Gnosticism, that the teaching is so close, but the activity of the life is so far apart. I want to give you these few things, and you can write them down, you can take a picture of them, but I want you to get this. False religion often has, listen to this, a thread of truth. Remember at the beginning of time, what did Satan say? Did God really say? And notice how he began to twist the words of God. When he's with Christ in the wilderness and he's tempting him, and what does he do? He begins to quote different passages of Scripture or go to the Scriptures. Didn't he say that he would give his angels charge over thee. You notice the twisting, the subtle twisting of the truth. The moment you begin to twist the truth, the truth really becomes distorted. You can see the clarity of truth if you twist it in a way that appeals to another part of you. It's the adjustment or they adjust the appeal to the human nature or desire. That's what twisting the truth does.
It appeals to a part of you that says, I can bend this truth just enough to still enjoy different parts of my life that I know should be off limits. There's a great emphasis placed on the works of man. And what did Paul say in this very passage of Scripture? He was saying, aren't you glad that we don't have to work for what God does in our life, that it's by grace that we're saved. He says, if you see, there's no mention or attention given often to the Trinity in a false teaching or false religion. It focuses on the general works of the person that the real religion surrounds or the system surrounds. And we often see that there is an oppression of certain groups of people when it comes to false doctrine. And I'll just say it, mainly it's women. Whenever you see that there is an oppression of women, you say, why is that? Just go and read First and Second Timothy. Who were the major influences in Timothy's life? It was the women. Who were the first ones to show up at the tomb? It was the women. Come on, somebody give God a praise in this place. Don't you thank God for women? It says this. All of them basically believe. All of them basically say, and I want you to get this because it, has, it happened in Paul's day with this spirit of Gnosticism, that there is one God but there are many paths that you can take to get to him. It reminds me, and I think that's the reason why it was, that as they were approaching Caesarea Philippi, and if you've been in church any length of time, you know that there were many gods that were worshipped in that region. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I got this question, who do men say that I am? And notice what the response is. Some say what? Some say that you're, you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, or what? You're one of the prophets. You know what they were really saying is that different people in the, real, in the region has picked their religion. And some say that you're like the prophet Elijah, and so they're going to worship you as if Elijah was still alive. Some say you're like Jeremiah, so they're going to worship you like Jeremiah was still alive. Some say that you're like one other prophet that they've chosen because after all, they could have multiple gods in multiple places at multiple times and still say that they were serving God. But how many of you know that there is only one God? I said, how many of you know that there is only one God? And that's when it became personal and Jesus said, well, I got a question for you that are here with me. Who do you say that I am? Oh, Peter steps up. You are Jesus Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Simon. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Are you getting this tonight, that the solidification of your faith, the grounding of your faith in who do you say that Jesus Christ really is? 
I tell you tonight that we can sit here and we can say, I know exactly who he is. He is the great I am. That's where everywhere that Jesus went, he said, I'll tell you this, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. And even when they came to take him away, who are you, Jesus? I am he. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad he's still the great I am? So as Paul brings this around, he makes this statement. See, you say, why would you say that? Because Paul is relaying something to Timothy when he says this statement. Timothy, do you really believe in him? Do you really know him? And it's as if I was sitting there, I'll just be honest with you, is this, is, it's almost as if I was sitting there with Paul in my office today. And this wore out man of God was looking at me and say, saying, I know who I believe. I know in whom I believe. He's brought me through shipwrecks. He's brought me through beatings. He's brought me through stoning. He's brought me through when I was left for dead. Is anybody here that he's brought you through something? And I know who I believe. Do you know who you believe? Do you know? And I want to tell you tonight, herein lies the basics of what Paul was writing to Timothy when he made this statement in verse 13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So when Paul was using this word, no, there was a time when Paul thought he knew it all. There was a time when Paul thought he had it all figured out. There was a time when Paul thought that he needed no one else to answer any questions because he had been well-educated. He had been well-mentored. He had been well-versed. He had been well-trained. And he was walking and living a life where he needed no one else anymore until he saw that he needed Jesus. Isn't it amazing how Christ has a way of making us see how, how much we really need him? And herein lies now the basics that he's given him. In the scripture and in the context of this, he begins to deal with several things, and I'm going to give these to you quickly in five minutes. I promise. Amen? I know what you're thinking. He is absolutely lying. So, first of all, he deals with a problem that was in that culture that's in our culture. What is sin? Is sin really what God says is sin? Or is sin what I think is sin? Remember what I told you? See, they could get saved, 
but they could still live parts of their life before they got saved. They could bring that into their salvation and bring that into the church. So here Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 13, notice he makes this statement to the Romans, mortify or put to death the deeds of the body. He's talking about the works of the flesh. What are the works of the flesh? Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. I mean, you see all the list. And what does he say? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But let me simplify this as, as I possibly can. People want to try to put a label on certain sins, hoping that the sin that they're in doesn't get labeled. Am I right? Well, it doesn't say anything in God's Word about da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So let me just simplify this as, I'm pos as much as I possibly can. I'll tell you what sin is in a nutshell. Anything, somebody shout anything. Turn to somebody and say, anything. Anything that creates separation between you and God is sin. Anything that creates separation between you and God is sin. So when you leave here tonight and you're looking through Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, you're saying to yourself, well, didn't mention that. And the Holy Spirit is saying it. He didn't have to mention Facebook because Facebook wasn't there that 2,000 years ago. But I'm telling you, Facebook is a problem with your life. It creates separation between me and you. You need to get rid of it out of your life. I know what you're saying. I thought he said five minutes. So he deals with what is sin. It's separation. And he's looking at Timothy. He's saying, I want you to understand this, Timothy. That in the last days, he puts it like this. In the last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves. This is going to be perilous times. Here's what's going to be like. Look, then he deals with, because see, apparently if they thought salvation was one way, now Paul says, let me give you the fundamental of what salvation is. Now, I'm going to give you the fundamental of what I know salvation is. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. I said, He is faithful. He is faithful. Aren't you glad God is faithful to forgive you and to forgive me? But Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, he says let me tell you what salvation is. All have sinned. And we've all fell short of God's glory. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But what is salvation? It's the gift of our God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad he gave us the gift of his son? I'm telling you, these are just basics. And he's giving them to Paul, and he's saying, this is what you need to know. And see, because they had a misconception, and the truth was twisted concerning eternal life, because many of the Gnosticism, much of the Gnosticism that was taught during that day, 
gave us a different picture of what life was after we left this earth. And it wasn't the same as while we were here on this earth, fulfilling our fleshly and lustful desires. No, those things are done away with. And he says, what is eternal life? Well, look at the words of Jesus. We, he said this, he says, I give them. Turn to somebody and say, you're the them. Oh, hallelujah. Eternal life. I, I mean, aren't you glad that eternal life doesn't come from anyone else? A thought, a theory, a feeling. It only comes from the one who died to give it to us. So when Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm giving you this. The heart of what I'm saying is, I'm near the end of my life. And I can honestly say as I'm writing this to you that I really love my Lord and Savior. Facing death doesn't bother me. Being with the Lord, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Missing you, I know you're going to be taken care of because you're going to stick to the fundamentals of what you've been taught. But what's going to cause you to endure is your love for the Savior. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed right now, see, here's where it gets really personal. Just like Paul was writing Timothy, the Holy Spirit is here with us tonight. And he's saying, you know what? It's easy when you're in church among other believers that you think or you feel, believe, and worship like you. But what you always need to be careful of, always need to be on guard of, that the thought, the feeling, the emotion, the teaching that is about in this world, that you don't allow it to get into your life. Because what gets in your life finds its way in the church. And you may sit there and I may sit there and we all may feel like what we believe doesn't affect those around us. But then why would write Paul write Timothy to say this is what you have to be on guard with? This is what you have to watch out for. Don't let your people, don't let them buy into the twisted truth that is going around in the place where you're pastoring, Timothy. Don't let what's in the world get inside your church. And most of all, don't let what's in the world get inside your life. But let what's in the church get in the world. Let the church go into the world. Let the church be the light of the world.
Let the church reveal the good shepherd for the world. Everything that I am, I will be through you. See, that's what makes him the great I am. Because I don't have to be great when the I am is great. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad of that tonight? So, Father, in the name of Jesus here in this auditorium, there very well could be someone who has struggled, who has battled, who's fighting in a way that they didn't even recognize it. I want to ask you here tonight, there might be someone here that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior. And maybe you've bought into a certain belief system that someone has given you outside of the Word of God. And you said to yourself, well, I thought this was right. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight and He's told you there is only one way. There is only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. Paul said, I know Him. So I want to ask you tonight, is there anyone here that you would say, with all honesty of heart, I don't know Him, but I want to know Him. Quickly, I want you to lift your hand in this place so that I can pray with you before we leave. Anyone here tonight? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Well, then this is what I'm going to tell you as believers. If you know Him and if you love Him, I just want you to stand and praise Him. Can you do that right now? Come on, if you know Him and if you love Him, just stand and praise Him. Thanks for listening to today's message. We pray you were blessed by God's Word. For more information on Tree of Life Ministries, you can visit tolm.net or you can follow us on social media at TOLM Lynchburg. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.